Welcome to the Happiness Hunter podcast. I'm your host, Fiona Redding. This show will help you navigate life and transform your approach to business with inspiring and practical strategies, tools, and insights to teach you how to shift your mindset and achieve life integration to show up fully in every area of your life today. Hey, and welcome back to this episode of the podcast. Today, I am joined on the show by Charlie Gilkey. So Charlie helps people start finishing the stuff that matters. He's the founder of Productive Flourishing, a company that helps professional creatives, leaders, and changemakers take meaningful action on work that matters. He is the author of the book, Start Finishing and the Small Business Lifecycle, and host of the Productive Flourishing podcast. Before starting Productive Flourishing, Charlie worked as a Joint Force Military Logistics Coordinator while simultaneously pursuing a PhD in philosophy. He lives with his wife, Angela, in Portland, Oregon. Through actionable guidance grounded in thought-provoking theory, Charlie helps you take meaningful action on the stuff that matters in both life and work. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Fiona, thanks for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. I'm, I'm, I think I'm more delighted just quietly. So I was first introduced to your work several years ago um, through a friend of mine, Jody Price, who had met you while she was doing a mastermind with Jonathan Fields in 2016 mm-hmm. or 2017. Um, so we were out walking one day and I was writing my first book or not writing my first book and just like being mega stressed about it and talking about writing it, but not writing it and worrying about not doing it and really like doing my own head in about it. Um, And I was sharing my struggle and she told us about you and your time blocking method. And I immediately related to it. Like it just made so much sense. Um, And I started blocking out focus sessions. So that was all I did initially was just with the focus session. And I actually rescheduled or rearranged how my day worked. And I actually started writing first thing in the morning instead of going for a walk because my kids were really little at this stage. And ultimately the book got done. So I actually have you in part to thank for that, Charlie. So thank you. But I actually thought your story and background was fascinating. And that was what really drew me to you, you know, about, um, I don't know, can you, can you share with us a little bit about that story, about your time in Iraq, what you kind of refer to as the year that as the crucible that changed you? And um, like, like, what, what it taught you or what it showed you or whatever about um, what it, as you said in your book, what it meant to thrive, be good people and build the communities, societies and institutions that led to thriving. I just think it's a wonderful story. And so I'd like you to go into a bit of depth with that, if you wouldn't mind, please, Charlie. Yeah, well, that's a, that time. So 2004, 2005 was simultaneously the best and the worst time of my life. Um, best because um you learn a lot in that year and some change of time, right? So it, it seems I'm, I'm now 42 and it seems crazy that at 24, I had the responsibility that I did at the time of, of 45 troops and 20, um, 20 trucks about at the time we were doing logistics in Iraq about at the time that the um, Iraqi insurgents figured out how best to blow us up. Um, and so it's, it's a whole lot during that period of time, but you know, the thing about it is, is, Amidst the fear and the complexity of that experience, there's a lot of really good simplicity amidst it in the sense that here you are, you've been trained on how to do certain things. You're in a community of people who have been trained on how 
how to do different things and you're all aligned to get the job and mission done and to get everybody back home safely. Um, and so it's on the one hand, crazy that I was 24 years old doing that, but on the other hand, made perfect sense in the sense of the broad system that helps us do that. And there are still times, Fiona, where I miss the simplicity of the army. And this, even though I was an officer, um, I had that one job to do. I had a, a support staff around me to do all. I had sergeants, I had junior officers, I had senior officers, everybody doing their part. And when you get out in this wild, crazy world of being a creative change maker, you end up becoming a generalist and having to cover all the things. And so a lot of the overwhelm and burnout and regret that we have as creative folks is that we just don't have that community of support around us to do what we need to do. Um, but that was that service was also in the context of my graduate studies in philosophy. And so um, before I left Iraq, I was still very much into analytic philosophy. But when I came back, I realized that where my heart was, was actually in um, social and political philosophy. Because nothing was as stark as thinking about what led to the situation, what are the broad macroeconomic and social and political structures that even lead to situations like we were in. Mm-hmm. You can't just, and we know this better now than we did then when we knew it then, but anyways, um, you can't just go in and supplant entire cultures um, and expect the outcomes that we expected. And so it really got me keenly interested in coming back home and saying, okay, how are we, in the United States or in my state or in my community, setting it up so individuals, community, communities, and the nation thrives? And what would that look like? And so that service um, changed my perspective, both on philosophy, but also at a very personal level, um, understanding how fickle life is, because there would be sometimes we would be out on convoys and I won't go into exactly how that, how that works, but that sort of schedule, use the best of the intel available and scare on the road that the convoy in front of us got hit or the convoy behind us just happened to time things right. But that could have been me. That could have been me and my troops. Or the one behind us is like, well, that we were the trigger convoy that got everybody set up and ready for that. And so it's just, it seems like a lot of strategy. It seems like a lot of planning, but it's also just dumb luck because mm-hmm. the convoys that were getting hit in front of us and behind us was doing the same, they were doing the same work. And when you see where shrapnel goes when stuff explodes and how quickly bullets can quickly uh, can, can go one way or the other, it just teaches you to take life, this one precious life we have very um, seriously, like don't take yourself seriously, but take your life and your work and the relationships you have very seriously because um, fate's fickle. Oh, I can't agree with you more about that. I just think, you know, it would, it's, it's, it is such a serious business life, but it actually is, is such a light joy at the same time. Mm-hmm. But we do yeah. need to take it seriously. We do need to take our lives seriously. Like time, time flies and we want to get stuff done. Yeah. So I'm going to revise myself. Serious implies a grimness and a sort of grip that I don't really want to get into. Live it intentionally. Yeah. Know that, that this time that you have here is quite limited 
and you don't know how much you have. So with the time you have, that's why we focus so much at productive flourishing about not just finishing stuff, not just being more productive, because let's face it, Fiona, there are a lot of people who are just like those to-do list ninjas. Like they get a bunch of stuff done. There's a bunch of checks. And, but then at the end of the week or the month or the quarter of the year, the things that matter most, whether it be a book whether it be that move that they've been trying to do, whether it be that relationship that they're trying to, you know, progress to the next level, whether it be these precious, you know, the souls of their precious kids that they're not interacting with in a certain way. Those are the things that matter Mm. that oftentimes don't show up on the to-do list and don't show up in our, in our intention and space. And that's what we regret more is not paying attention to those. Not whether you, you know, got inbox zero or not who at a certain point, who cares, right? Yeah, no, I I love you. I love I love what you say. Um, just on that, actually, there's a lot of conversation around the overwhelmed brain and mm-hmm. how damaging it is to our focus, and mm-hmm. you know, like this idea of multitasking. And I've been um, really conscious of an increase in people talking about ADHD, for example, and um, you know, I'd, I'm 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 certainly not a medical professional, and I don't want to assume anything here in terms of that kind of conversation but I I am really looking at this situation and questioning that going is that actually just because people are overwhelmed and they're 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 not focusing and I'm not I'm not saying that ADHD doesn't exist but is there an element of that as well that we're we're just we're so beyond actually even being out of focus now in a way um so I think there's clinical ADHD, or I know there's clinical ADHD. Yeah, I, I 100% think agree. Many of us are functionally ADHD. Yeah. Um, and why I say that is um, what's most scarce these days is no longer really money, but our attention. Mm-hmm. And um, whether it's our technology, or whether it's that background anxiety that makes us think that we have to be instantly plugged into everything right now. Um, We're currently recording this um, while Russia is still aggressing Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, there's a lot to talk about there. And well, not necessarily on this podcast, but the thing that I would want listeners to think about it is, does it help the Ukrainians at all for us to have, you know, near real time access to what's going on in Ukraine right now, or to be paying attention to that? My contention is no. Um, Actually, if we were to take some of that attention back, maybe use that to put pressure on politicians or to do other things, we might actually help the situation more than just watching because we can. Now, I just pick on that because, you know, at any given time, we might log in and um, I realize you're not in the United States, so you see different channels than I'm going to see, right? Um, I think... Um, what we have to think about is, is the way that we're giving our attention to these things, really supporting anyone besides the people who basically profit off that. Like if you're looking at a phone, if you're looking at a device, you are instantly against armies of engineers whose sole job it is to grab your attention and keep it. Mm. Um, And I think one of the biggest choices we have now is to say, you know what, there's a lot going on in the world. And there are a small amount of things going on in my world that I need to invest in, that I need to pay attention to, and that I need to do something about. 
And we got to go back to that circle of influence. I'm not sure if you if yeah. you've seen that, but there's the things you control, things you can influence, and then everything else. Yeah. So many of us are paying attention to everything else, such that we're not paying attention to what's in our circle of influence or circle of control. Um, and that I think is what creates this functional ADHD because there's another you know notification or there's another there's another dis- disruption or there's another interruption and then we're there paying attention to it and I think we assume that we're making more conscious choices about that than we actually are mm-hmm. we are at the point of where we are biologically primed ourselves to be paying attention to these things and so I think we can give ourselves a little bit of grace and be like, oh, well, my willpower, I don't have the willpower, my attention, but like, no, actually, we, you have biologically primed yourself to do these. And so sometimes, Fiona, when I'm giving workshops and, and talking about, you know, start finishing a productivity, I just have people reach for their phone and see mm-hmm. where their brains go, see where their fingers start to twiddle. And at this point, we don't even have to touch our phones anymore. Like if you start thinking about it enough, your hands will start to move and you'll start to think in certain ways. And like every time you touch that, you prime it. Just like every time you walk past a chocolate shop, you, you know, you want chocolate. It's at that level. So I think it's, you know, I was asking around the question ADHD, I was asking my wife, I was like, I don't know whether it's just that now we are, we have more occurrences of ADHD or whether we're talking about it more because mm-hmm. we all own our own channel. Like if you roll back 20 years ago, I think there are a lot of people who had it. We just attacked their character more, right? It was just like, you're wrong. You can't get right. But now we know that this is thing. Then there's a broader amount of the internet who tends to be either ADHD or functionally HD talking about it. Mm-hmm. Either way, whatever we would do to help our attentions, if we were ADHD, help our brains heal like and and focus and be calmer if we don't have it as well Mm. yeah no thank you thank you for that because yeah it is something that I'm I mean and I don't know if it's you know because as you say like the algorithms and and all of that you know is that information just stuff that's been fed to me now but it is noticeably a very big conversation and I guess you know in the context of this conversation is actually recognizing yes there is the clinical absolutely the clinical ADHD but also too it is also in a way a behavior and Mm -hmm. that can be addressed and through the kind of system that we're talking about today through practices like meditation and walking and all of those things as well so um thank you for thank you for your insights on that i really appreciate it so um as i said earlier my introduction to your work was through time blocking and i think at this stage um i you know i recognized that i had a bit of a a bit of a challenge here like you know when I, I like to set myself challenges and then work out why I can't do them and then you know it's it's who we become along the way not actually the outcome and mm-hmm. I'd set myself I really believe in the power of affirmations and I'd written mm-hmm. an, an affirmation on a post-it note attached to my computer and this affirmation said I am organized I am disciplined I am structured and I am focused with my time and so, of course, I attracted to me then through this conversation with jo- Jody this kind of solution to that you know, how, how I could actually become that. Um, so th- the time blocking is something that I share with 
all of my clients and students, you know, just very at a very high level, this simple concept. And it has actually been a game changer for me. And it is something that I need to continually work with on a daily basis, of course, as I think we all do. Um, but this idea of setting aside carefully considered chunks of time for appropriate tasks. Mm-hmm. So first up, how is time blocking different to a to-do list? So what time blocking acknowledges is several things, and especially the way um, I teach and we do product we do time blocking at product flourishing um what one thing that time blocking acknowledges is that one time is limited and we need to do a better job of um containerizing our time and and let me talk a little bit about that um we know this in an experiential level that if you are say a morning person that one hour from eight o'clock to nine o'clock in the morning is not the same one hour at like four o'clock in the afternoon. Those are qualitatively structurally different feelings. Like you're not going to be able to use that 60 minutes the same way. Um, The other thing that time blocking really starts to look at as opposed to a to-do list. um, We might have two episodes here, Fiona. So I'll try, (laughs) I'll try to be little on, on the to-do list. Like when I look at most people's to-do list, my brain goes a little haywire. I'm going to be honest here because most people's to-do list contains a mismatch of tasks that can be done in 20 minutes or less day sized chunks of a projects that can be done in 90 minutes or two hours to week sized projects, all sort of loosely thrown together. Right. And people wonder why they look at the to-do list and they get fuzzy brain. And that's like instantly making your brain, your brain go from um, understanding and processing the size of an ant to the size of Australia at the same time. Our brains can't do that. Like we can do a lot of things, but not that so quickly. Um, and so when you look at a to-do list, most people have no idea how long it's going to take to do most of the things on the to-do list because it's this mismatch of different projects. What time blocking, once you really get into sort of a intermediate level with it, you can look at a task. You can know roughly how big it is and you know roughly where it can sit on your schedule. Um, when you get at a, at a certain level of competency. So what it does is at a certain point helps us after we do the capture phase of creating our to-do list, which means we get all the things out of our head that we think we need to do. You can look back over and say, you know what? I have two in that admin block. I'm going to get maybe three, four tasks done. So those eight tasks that I wrote down that are admin tasks, those are not all going to happen today. I know that from the jump and I can make better decisions now. What can go tomorrow? Like what can I do the four Ds on, which are, you know, defer, delegate, do or drop, right? Um, what can I do that on to make it happen at the same time? So it gives you that skill and it kind of goes back to what many of us learned in kindergarten. You know, when you had those shape sorter puzzles where like yep. the triangle goes in the triangle hole and the circle goes in the circle hole, you get to a point to where you're like, oh, that's a circle project or that's a circle chunk. It goes in the circle time. That's a triangle time or that's a triangle um, task. It goes into the triangle time. And so to give more context for this there, I teach four different types of blocks, yep. right? Four, four kinds of blocks. You have your focus blocks, which are your 90 to 120 minute blocks of time where you focus on a project that you really need to see through. Now, most people think these are just 
prod times you spend in deep thinking sort of creative projects, but it's not necessarily that like if you've had to go through a deep cleaning part, a portion of your house, or maybe you have to pull out the refrigerator and you can get the stuff behind the refrigerator. It turns out those types of things also require focus blocks too, because by the time you get it all out and get into it, um, you know, you can't do it in 15 minutes or you're never going to get anything done or cleaning out your garage or any of those types of things. So that's one thing to, that I have to say. Anytime I say project, I am in specific about whether it's a work or life project. Mm -hmm. If it takes time, energy, or attention, it's a project. And so, so many of our quote unquote life projects aren't getting done because we don't think about them on projects and then they don't end up on our schedule and they end up, especially if you're in a parent, you know, we end up with this huge backlog of life stuff to do in like three hours on a Saturday. Right. And we wonder why we're not getting anywhere. And then we get really crazy um, with the kids so, in the way. Because uh, they're in the way and then yeah. you're not being productive because you got to take care of your kids. And we set up all sorts of false constructs like that. Oh, that's another one I get off. I'll, I'll sort of get mad about it. It's like, there's no such thing as the tension between being productive and being a great parent. Yeah. Being a great parent is being productive. It is a different type of yeah. productivity. It is a different way of being in the world, but it matters. Mm -hmm. So anyways, so you have your focus blocks, 90 to 120 blocks of time. Now it's not say you're writing. It's not like you're just sitting there eyes bleeding, looking at the computer screen for 90 to 120 minutes. No, it's not. You can, you know, make your table of contents or you can outline, you can go get coffee. If you're not ma majorly changing something, you can get up and stretch. You can move around. You can warm up and close down in that 90 to 120 minutes. Um, so that's the first type of block. Second is your social block, which typically people get mad at me about this one too, Fiona, typically 90 minutes to 120 minutes. And they're like, but we meet for an hour. True. But think about the preparation that mostly happens before that. Think about the admin that almost always needs to happen after a social meeting, whether it's a business meeting or life meeting, there's stuff that pops up. People don't account for that. And then it gets punted. And then people are freaked out Friday because they have all of that work that was related to that meeting that they didn't do. So those are social blocks. Um, sometimes I'll say service blocks, especially if you're entrepreneurial or you're in a consultancy mm. or something like that, because it's the same thing. Third type of block I've already mentioned is an admin block. These are 30 minutes to 60 minutes long. They're shorter. And why are they shorter? Well, most of us don't want to spend a whole bunch of time doing admin blocks. And I can see because I, I have clients come to me like, well, I'm going to batch that. I'm going to do four hours of email. I'm like, are you really going to do four hours of email? Or are you going to do about 45 minutes of email and then do two hours of Facebook? Let's be real here, right? Mm. Um, and so 30 minutes to 60 minutes is enough that you can get in there and you can solve, you can address some of the bigger um, items that you might need to do, but not so much that you set up this long list that a part of you is going to bail out on. And then lastly, and probably the most importantly, are your recovery blocks. Mm. And these are those blocks where you take good care of yourself as a human, as a living being, as a person who has needs, you know, and the amount of time for this one is really dependent upon what it is. And what I have to say about recovery blocks is it's not what type of activity it is. It's what it does for you. Mm -hmm. So I have some friends and clients who, you know, go on to CrossFit is their recovery block. 
it is not a recovery block for me, <laughs> right? Um, going to the gym might be, but CrossFit, not so much. Um, now, it could be that playing music is a recovery block for you. It could be that that's a focus block for you. But the main thing is, it's whether it recharges you or not. I used to not talk about recovery blocks because I just figured that like people would naturally put them into their schedules. People did not naturally put them into their schedule. And so I had to start really thinking like, you know, if you really want to get into the time blocking, as Fiona mentioned, two great places to start are one focus blocks and then wait for it. Recovery blocks. People think social or admin, but no um, focus and recovery. One quick pro tip here is, Please, please, please schedule at least one recovery block after every two focus blocks, because if you really have a deep work focus block, you're going to need to recharge and recover. And one of the biggest mistakes I see people do is you're like, oh, I have that open day. So I'm just going to slam myself full of like four or five focus blocks and they're dragging the rest of the week. Don't do that. Two focus blocks, recovery block. Or if you're being really gentle with yourself, to focus or social blocks and then a recovery block. Um, you know, the more focused I am, and as I said before, it is an ongoing daily work in progress, mm-hmm. the more I get done. The less mm-hmm. I do, the more I do. But I, And I really agree with you around that idea of the recovery blocks, and that's really what I teach a lot as well in my work when, you know, people start working with me. It's like the first thing you need to sort out is actually your really rest and recovery time. Like, you know, making the time for your health and well-being, and making the time to be organized about your day and working out what you're going to be focusing on today. And then we can kind of go down a little into a little bit more detail. And I think that's a really important point that you raise is that this isn't about, this is one of the things I love about this kind of philosophy. It's really a philosophy in a way, what you teach, you know, like is a, there's a method behind it, but it is a philosophy. It's about, you know, taking control of your life and your time and what you're doing in, with it. And that is naturally going to be a work in progress. And I know for me and for everybody that I work with, we have to experiment with when is a good time for us to be focused. And a struggle for me has been, I'm really good in, for my focus stuff in the afternoon from about two till about, it, it, actually all night, like from about two, I'm really good. I can do it in the morning, but I'm really like, that's when I just mm-hmm. get right into it. Well, my kids finish school at three. So that's been a real challenge for me. And I know, you know, whilst my kids have been at primary school, I've had to accept I'm probably not going to be as productive as I would like to be because of that. And because I am like, I'm a single parent and I've got my own business. So I'm running my business, you know, as a managing the business, CEOing the business. I'm also CEOing the family life as well, because I'm a single parent. Plus I'm actually doing my client work. Plus I've got to look after myself and all the rest of that. I've had to learn to be um, very gracious with myself around that. But actually like when I look at what I've achieved and as I said, Charlie, like this, I I don't always follow it to the letter, but I I have the understanding of this thing. And like, I'll just go, right, I'm just going to do my counts. That's my, that's my admin task today. That's it. And then I've tick and I've succeeded, but I do it regularly. It doesn't end up being this massive thing. I don't get big stress at tax time because I haven't got my papers and stuff in order. So, you know, I think we can really gently introduce this, this process into our lives, but it really does matter. We need to be clear about what we're focusing on and that we are, in a state to be able to focus. Precisely. Well, and what I've noticed is most people have at least two different 
sort of weekly blueprints. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, there's a way in which my blocks work in the winter time that's different than the way it works in the summer. Now I can choose to fight that and treat myself just like I'm a robot and my schedule is my schedule is always, or I can say, you know what, during the summertime, this is what this looks like. And it looks, it looks and feels different than it does in the fall. Mm. And so as I'm thinking about projects and as I'm building my schedule, I'm like, okay, well, I know how to sort of stack against that and be okay with it. So much of our suffering and I'm using suffering specifically here right? There's pain, which is what happens to you. Sort of, I'm using it in the Buddhist way. The pain is what happens to you. The suffering is the story and the emotion you attach to what's happening to you. There is so much suffering around us not accepting where we are. So in your situation, I would say, you know what, Fiona, like you said, you know, I'm not going to be as productive because I got my kids. I'm saying, well, you're going to be pretty, you're going to be a productive mom, right? When your kids are home, right? So that's one thing, but two, that means in my world, it's like, okay, you have five focus blocks a week, right? You got about an hour. Let's be realistic and use those to the best possible and use what you have to the fullest and not just beat yourself up about that. But that also means unsolicited coaching here, that if you're comparing yourself to other people who have more focus blocks and they're getting further faster, like you're playing a fool's game there Mm. because they have more time. They're going to grow faster. They're going to do things faster because maybe they have 10 or 15 blocks. It's not that they're better or smarter or like people like them more. It's just, they have more of like the right button seat time. And you will not believe how many people have a lot more time available that are just squandering it anyways. Mm. Right. And so, yeah, you have five focus blocks. Great. What are we going to be able to do in that time? And how do we set up? How do we look at your to-do list and say, you know what? That's just not realistic. Let's not start off the Mm. week with a game you can't win and beat yourself up about it. Instead of saying, you know what? You have these five things you're going to get done. You have your client sessions you're going to get done. You're going to be a great mom. And that's where you are right now. Mm. You know? Yeah. I, yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. And also um, with that as well, one of the things I recognized is that, you know, I've, I'm just about nearly finished my second book and I recognized that um, it, it was a struggle to be focused with that. So I actually worked with a writing coach and I was mm-hmm. just like, you know, okay, I could just try this or I could actually just be a level smarter and and get some support for those focus blocks. So therefore then I didn't need to worry about creating focus blocks in the rest of the week for that and I could do other things. And so I think when we we understand how we operate and I love what you said about the summer and winter have different um, things and I'm also a big fan of setting daily goals as well. So you've kind of, I map out the week ahead. Oh, you know, I know what I'm going, got map out the week ahead. But then I review on a daily basis because there are, I do have other commitments and most of us do have other commitments and sometimes stuff comes in. And every now and again, when I am actually feeling really overwhelmed, I just clear my schedule for the day and I just have a whole day of rest and recovery. And then the next day, watch out world, Fiona's on fire, you know, and I've learned that that's an okay. That's not me being lazy. That's not me um, not functioning. That's actually what I need. Sometimes I need those longer periods of rest and recovery and that is really okay because then I'm going to be much more productive and can implement the system because I think that's a wonderful thing about having systems, Charlie, isn't it, is that, you know, that they are back up. Like, you know, when you're in the army, it was just there. Those systems actually support us, but they're, not, we, they're there to serve us, not us to serve them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, 
to reference story of the army day so we know i was in logistics like i would plan like my maintenance chief would plan but we would plan for a our machinery to go down for maintenance every once in a while so there's a certain amount of hours that it would run and then there would be scheduled maintenance for it we did that with machinery <laughs> we don't most people don't do that for themselves right as organic beings so i love that you can call an audible and just say you know what i'm out for the day and i'm okay with that right um because you know the thing about it is if you go into energetic debt long enough mm-hmm. that bill will come due it will come due as burnout. It will come due as overwhelm. It will come due as, you know, sort of regret. And it will come due as you burning things down because you just couldn't take it anymore. Right. That bill always comes due. And so our job is not, you know, to push ourselves a hundred percent all the time. Um, I know some people teach that that's not my way, right. That's not what I want to say. It's like, what would it feel like for us to actually treat ourselves as, as organic beings that ebb and flow and to give what we can at a certain time, but also recognize that, you know, um, tomorrow I need to be able to show up too. Mm. the next day I need to be able to show up too. And if I go a hundred percent, three or four days in a row, by the time that fourth or fifth day comes, I'm not going to be at a hundred percent because I was actually overburning. Um, you know, and one of the things that I teach alongside time blocking is the five projects rule. I could yeah. be very brief here. Right. Yeah. And so the, the long nerdy way of saying this is no more than five active projects in a given time perspective. So no more than five month sized projects in a month, no more than five week sized projects in a week. Mm. Um, now when we get down to the day level, that's where we start thinking like, what's a project of the day? And I'm like, well, that's really comes down to blocks, right? Especially, um, focus and, and social blocks. And so I will say like, you know what, look at you, add up your focus blocks and up your meetings. When it starts to go over five, you're probably starting to stretch it. And the reason I do that is because people at the daily level, don't look at a meeting. Like our accounting about meetings is really weird. We know they take up time, but a lot of times you forget about the energy that they take too, right? And so by the time, for instance, you have three three client sessions and then maybe you're doing a podcast and then maybe you do your accounting, like that's a normal human day, right? Um, or if, you know, something came up with the kids and you're parenting because they were sick and you have to do all that kind of whatnot, that's a block of your day. If we say, you know what, no more than five, because that's really, we don't get more done and we account for that. I think we can say, you know what, actually, it's not that I need to do more and be more productive and that it's got to be faster, harder, smarter. Maybe I'm doing enough. Mm. And I need, you know, at a certain point with my clients, whether they're executives or whether they're entrepreneurs, the harder conversation is not how do we do more? How do we do less? That's, it's, well, it's not even how do we do less? It's how do we make peace with what we're able to do and what we have done? That's the hard accepting conversation. It. Accepting it, celebrating it, acknowledging it, and maybe just maybe giving yourself credit for the great work you have done as opposed to just focusing on all the things you haven't. Yeah, I, I I just love that advice. And actually I've got this as a question here, and I'm gonna skip to it now because it's um I, it, really relevant to what you've said. And I'm sure that you've got some advice around this. So a lot of my clients work in corporate roles that mostly Mm -hmm. involve back-to-back meetings with no time to actually do the work, with 
no time to read the 100 emails that come in on a daily basis, most of which they are CC'd in on, but they have to read them because it might have some information that is relevant to them, but they can't set, you know, um, rules around, um, you know, autoresponders and stuff because then they miss, they miss information. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's very challenging to work out how to identify how this framework or this approach works in that environment when they actually have zero, even in very senior roles, what appears to be zero autonomy over their time. What's your advice around that? Partially, I think it's an appearance of no autonomy um, and not the reality of no autonomy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll start there. Um, I work with a lot of peak performing executives as well. Um, and one of the first things we look at is this back-to-back meeting thing. It's ridiculous. It's well, it's, there's a lot of things about it, but we know it's not working. Yeah. Right. What inevitably happens and people wonder why they're working 70, 80 hours a week. Well, it's because you meet for 35 hours a week and all of the backlog of all the work of the meetings have to happen outside of that. So you're taking your work home. So if you're a senior leader, please, please, please address this because understand that everybody, because of that meeting culture, everybody is taking their work home on the weekend and in the evenings and, you know, working with kids and and you're part of the, you're part of the solution there. So actually the current book that I'm working on is called team habits. And it's a rally around some of these team habits that we're talking about. And that is a team and cultural habit that can change. Yeah. Um, It absolutely can change. So um, part of the very simple switch is to go from the typical corporate habit of if you have open time, then you can put that as far as a meeting and, and flipping that and inverting it and saying there are times in which you're available for meetings and then you have other time and it's not. So I know that's um, part of what's going on here is that, again, for many organizations, open time means available for meetings. How do you hack that? Well, Mm. part of it is you can change, you can schedule yourself, you can schedule your blocks so that you actually hardwire them on your schedule. And it could be like, you know, preparing strategy meeting for such and such that's on your calendar. It shows unavailable. People can't grab that time. Um, The other thing is that in most corporate structures, it's not the people who meet the most that get ahead. The people who ship the most get ahead. Right. And how do you ship more? Well, for some people, that means attend fewer meetings. Um, When, and I'll say this because people are like, Charlie, I can't do that. Look, when I was in the army, um, there were times in which I would get layered up on a bunch of priorities and different missions that I'd have to go to my boss and say, here's, here's what's going on. I can't do all of these. There are some of these I can fail on. And there are some of these I can't fail on. I'm choosing to not fail on these, right? That are, that are really mission critical. These I'm not going to be able to do, or I'm going to have to renegotiate in a different way. In which case my boss was like, oh, well, we can change those around. So on and so forth. Like we don't understand because we're not taught, we're not having great conversations with our peers and our, our managers about what's actually on the plate. No one knows what you're going through, but you, right? And so- Part of my advice would be um, use sort of the principles of time blocking, like get your projects and what you're working on down to coherent chunks that you can say, hey, I'm doing the research on this project. So in in case anybody asks you, like, what did you do in that hour? Oh, well, here's what I did. (laughs) Here's what you can see. You have records or you have receipts for that. So that's one, get that on your schedule so that it doesn't show up in time. Two, 
with your team. And by team, I mean those four to eight people that you work with 80% of the time, really get clearer about meeting structures when you're available, when you're not available and figure out what time blocks work for other people. And people are, I hear an objection. They're like, that's too many people. No, it's not. It's four to eight people (laughs) that you work with every day. You can figure out, you know, like Fiona's afternoon meter. She's not a person that wants to meet at eight o'clock in the morning. Sam wants to meet at eight o'clock in the morning. You can do this so that you have more focused meetings. Um, There are at times that work for people, but also that you're building in a buffer for the admin that happens before or after the meetings. Mm. Um, Generally what this means is people need to meet at least a third less than they're currently meeting. Um, And so that's what I would just say is like who in your culture actually has autonomy or who has the, the ability to schedule something with you and why do, can you create a meeting habit such that no one can schedule a meeting with you except for your boss because bosses be bosses, right? But if they don't have an agenda, they can't meet with you. That's a simple sort of rule for that. And by the time people make an agenda for what you need to talk about, they realize maybe you don't need to meet. Maybe this is an email instead. Mm. Um, but really push back against that resigned belief that you don't have autonomy over your time and there's nothing you can do about it because mm. there is. Mm. Thank you, Charlie. That's um very helpful. Okay. So, oh, this is what I wanted to ask you. Ask you. Okay. I listened to a podcast with you a while ago. You were a guest on someone's podcast and I'm very sorry. I can't remember her name um, where you talked about invisible activities. So can you share a bit about this too? Yeah. So invisible activities, a lot of this is um, in our societies, women do a lot of the invisible activities that it takes to keep life going. So this, this is the small things like, you know, keeping the toothpaste stocked and making sure you have toilet paper and making sure that launches mysteriously show up and that cars are fueled and that bills are paid and things like that. They're not invisible in the sense of that they don't matter. They're invisible in that we're, the folks doing them often don't count mm-hmm. the full time it takes to do them. And the people who are the beneficiaries of the invisible work also don't count how much labor is involved. Like the toothpaste is mysteriously there. It's like, no, there's not a toothpaste gnome, right? There's some one person that makes sure all of that happens. And so um, part of this, and I'm just going to be frank about this, part of this is acknowledging the unaccounted work that so many women in our lives do to keep things going. But it's not just toothpaste. It's sending thank you cards. And, you know, those texts that keep families glued together, right? All of those types of things um, are not being counted by either the beneficiaries of said invisible work or the people doing them. And the reason I want to talk about them is because so many people enter the productivity conversation or the get stuff done conversation thinking or believing they're not doing enough. Most of the people entering the conversation with that are already doing so much that I want them to give credit for. And I want them to acknowledge first, because maybe just maybe it's not their only sole job to do that invisible work. Maybe as a business owner, I don't know where you are with it, but maybe it makes more sense for you to hire a personal assistant or a babysitter or someone to do the lawn or all sorts of different tasks or to prep meals for you 
maybe that makes more economic sense for you to do, but it only makes economic sense when you account for it. And when you give yourself permission to not be that the person that does all the invisible work around the house on all the invisible activities. So I talk about this so much because people don't have their focus blocks because essentially a lot of that invisible work and those invisible activities are are admin blocks or admin stuff Mm -hmm. that takes over everything else. Um, And so, yeah, that's, that's really what it's about. So if you are a wife or a mom, um, whether you have a partner or not, there are probably a lot of things that you just do throughout the day that add up to two to four hours of time that don't register as um, time in the same way that like doing your books might do. Mm. Now, I'm not trying to say you don't feel the emotional weight of it. I'm just saying your mental accounting of that activity is different than say doing your books or sending an email. Um, The power of, of really acknowledging that again is it introduces a lot more um, compassion and acknowledgement into what people are doing. And it gives you at least a vector to think about how you might get some of your time back. If you just got back an hour of your day, um, I'm talking Fiona here. If you got back an hour every day, that's that one hour you mentioned from three to four that you could spend on something else, which could be doing nothing or recovering or, you know, reading a book or napping or going for a walk or doing yoga or whatever those things that you want to do that would light you up and take care of yourself. You can do that instead of just doing the invisible work because that's what moms do. Yeah. And look, I'm getting much better as well with this. I'm really training my kids to help out with all of that stuff as well. And, you know, letting them be aware when they, you know, the the notices pile up on my computer computer you know they put stuff there that have you have you followed up with the netball yet and you know i'm just like yeah i'll get to that um you know it's you know, do you know what i mean it's like the, it's for them it's an absolute priority but it's like yeah I, it's that is a job it's i'm not even thinking about it it's just gone over there i don't have those thoughts in my head anymore but i'm a massive fan of outsourcing huge fan of outsourcing and again that's something i think it's really important for us to be able to experiment with as well in terms of what works what doesn't what actually like I, for example, I was outsourcing um, to a meal delivery service and I actually realized the meals mm-hmm. were too complex. It was too much food. Um, I was actually starting to put on weight because the food was quite much more richer. And I was like, no, I'm just going to pull that back and we're going to, you know, go back to this, but, you know, being, able, being, being confident to try things and that really worked, that really didn't work. I'm in an apartment. Absolutely. It doesn't actually make sense for me to have a cleaner here. Like it's just yeah. not big enough, but I'm training my kids to clean and to, you know, sort the washing and do all that. If there's, stuff in the basket just sort it out you know like but but we do have a responsibility to educate the people around us I think about those invisible activities and not just feel like we're burdened by them precisely well and I like that you I love how intentional you are about that Fiona like your apartment is not big enough to need a house cleaner great so you've made a choice Mm. that that precludes a certain amount of work right um that you then don't have to pay for that's a smart choice right um, the meal delivery, again, it all comes back to, you know, for some people, prepped meal delivery makes sense. For other people, it could be that, you know, um, delivery makes more sense for you. Like, I don't, I'm not in a position where I can say what will make sense for someone, but I am in a position to say you have the capability and therefore personal responsibility 
to look at your situation and say, might there be another way that I can do that? That gives me more space and time for what matters. And look, if prepping food with your kids is something that enables you all to thrive, that you all love to do it. If that's a bonding and belonging thing, don't outsource that, mm. right? Absolutely do not outsource that. But if it's something you all hate yeah. and it's not something that you want to do and it's something that you have the means to do, like maybe you do that so that rather than prepping meals, you're like actually watching TV with your kids. Again, that's another thing that people talk about, like too much entertainment watching TV is like, well, no, maybe watching that geo with your kids is something that's educational and fun and things like that. Like whatever matters to you, that's where I'm not normative about that. I'm not going to say like TV doesn't matter or cooking doesn't like, no, it's up to you, but then look and say, how do I do more of that? Or how do I do enough of that? And what do I need to cut out, optimize change and give myself permission to not engage with so that I do that? Yeah. When we um, were in lockdowns, the kids and I went through a couple of actually three or four serial shows together. And it was such a bonding time. And even Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is probably a little bit inappropriate for my kids, we loved it. And they've both got posters up on the wall. And I know every time they look at that, like they remember that hundreds of hours that we spent together over lockdowns watching that show together. It was a very bonding experience. And I'd never really done that with the kids before. So that was really nice as well. So thank you. And I think that's, I love what you say. It's just about giving us permission to do what, for us to know ourselves, like, you know, know ourselves, what we need, what we want, and then having the ability to be able to make decisions in our life based on what's important to us, what our priorities are, what we value. And here's the system that you can start to utilise to do, to be able to do that. I just absolutely love it. So finally, Charlie, what is your best advice to someone today who is stuck in the land of ideas, spending all their time thinking about it. We've done some analysis with people about the amount of time you've spent thinking about something versus actually just doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of flapping. So, you know, the flap, 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 there's so much going on. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to literally take off. Talking about how busy they are, but actually zero time in the space of focus, creation and action. Like what is, they're, they're in there today, they're listening to this going, oh my gosh, that is me. What is the absolute first step they need to take from this exact moment in time? All right. So everybody listening, go through this little experiment with me. Or not experiment, little experience. So think about all the things that you want to do, all the aspirations, all the goals that are sort of floating around in the closet of your soul, as it were. Now, imagine that I was able to reach in and if I grabbed one of them, you would no longer be able to do it for the rest of your life. Boom, done, gone. Ready to feel around. What's that thing? Usually people have one or two things. Mm. That. Grab onto that and take that idea, take that urge, take that desire and start converting that into an actual project that you're going to spend the next three months focused Mm -hmm. on. Now, it doesn't mean it's exclusively the only thing you do. I'm not going to go there because the creative folks will come after me with pitchforks, right? I've been, I played that game before, right? But here's the deal. If you don't actually start converting that into a project, getting it on your schedule, building a success pack around it, time blocking. Time is what's going to reach in and take that from you. It won't be Charlie. It won't be Fiona. It will be time. Mm. So your choice are, your choice is make it real, put it on your schedule, turn it into a project or 
whether it's three months from now or a year from now, be looking back and seeing the sand of time start to erode away at it. Um, So you can't do everything. And that's the gift of time. The gift of time is that you don't have to do everything all at once. And if you're going to do anything, choose that thing that you know that you get some agita around when I start reaching forward and push that forward. Give yourself three months. Most of us can do anything for three months Yeah. and see how much better you feel. See if you're closer to being done and understand that all that thrashing and flapping is not a sign that you shouldn't do it, that something's wrong with you, that you're not enough. It's just a sign that it matters to you. Mm. It's just a sign that that's something that you want to get done right and well, and you're scared of it. Run towards that. Don't run away from it. Oh, so good. I want to know what everybody's thing is that Charlie's just reached into your soul to pull out. So you've got an app coming out this year, Charlie. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you let us know a little bit about that? Yeah, so the app is called Momentum. You can find out more at hellomomentum.app. And it takes um, the Momentum Planning Method, which is a um, method that I created that incorporates time blocking. It incorporates... Um, time-based planning and incorporates really, you know, getting your goals and your projects onto your schedule and it creates, you know, it's a software as a service app around that. So think, um, think Trello, think Asana, um, but just imagine that you are able to say, here's what I'm going to do for the quarter. And here are the sub pieces that are going to make it work this month this week and today. And then when that today happens, you can look at it and you know what you need to do and you don't have to do a bunch of machinations to make that happen. Um, so the app is the, has been basically the number one request of our momentum planners that we've been selling for the last year and the really, or last, sorry, decade. I'm really excited about getting this tool in people's hand in that way. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and people listening to this can actually go and download the momentum planners prior to Correct. the app coming out. Cause I think you, I read somewhere you've had like over a million downloads or something. Yeah. Well, we've had over a million downloads. You can, if you want to check out the methodology, you, we've got PDFs that will let you use it. You can print it out. You can fill them in. You can go to productiveflourishing.com forward slash free dash planners. Um, and that will take you there. Um, or you could just go to productiveflourishing.com and it's going to be in the nav bar. So it's easy to find. Fantastic. Oh, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm, I'm sure there's a whole other conversation we could have around the process of the app development. <laughs> Many, and you might have to ask me in multiple phases, what's happening this year versus next year, because yeah. it's um, take, well, I was, I was about to tweet it earlier and say like, take how long and expensive you think making an app is and multiply it by three and you're probably getting close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good on you for doing it. And you know, the, obviously the feedback from your um, people was, telling you what you needed. But Charlie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it has been a bit of a career highlight for me, I must say, Um, having been following your work for so long and, you know, wanting to get you on the podcast since December 2019. Um, And I'm just so delighted we've been able to make it work today. And thanks very much to Shannon too for her um, time and patience in that as well. Well, thanks so much. And it's been a delight. Um, I'm curious to see now I want to know what people's projects are. Um, but, um, you know, that's what I would say here is we didn't talk so much about it, but finished projects are the gap or the the bridge between the reality we live in and the reality we want to live in. Like Mm -hmm. if you're, if you want to be an author, turns out finishing a book 
is the only pathway to get there. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more, nothing less than that. So if you're not where you want to be in your life, there's probably a series of finished projects that you need to do to get there. And that's all it is. Not about character. It's not about, you know, anything else, but that. So that's why we focus so much on helping people to start finishing those things, because we want them to have that bridge and to get where they're trying to go. And, and I think also too, you know, something I really teach and talk about a lot is, you know, it's our results, which create the momentum and really inspire the motivation, but we have to be getting the results to kind of be able to kind of kick out, you know, enthusiasm on the boil. And if we're just, if we're not ever achieving anything, it's a very deflating way to live. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. Um, so ship, you'll feel better and your life will be better. Well, thanks again, Charlie. It's been an absolute joy. And um, I'll you know, look forward to connecting with you again in the future over the years. And I'm definitely looking forward to your new app. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Um, until next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss a future episode. And please feel free to leave a rating or a review. 